0: Many organizations struggle when it comes to communicating and realizing their business strategies. Many workers don't even understand the strategies in their own company. Welcome to the North Star with William Ulrich. Find out where your organization stands, what you might be doing right, and where you can improve. Now, here's your host, William Ulrich
1: to the show. I'm your host, William Ulrich. You're listening to the North Star. Feel free to contact me by email, LinkedIn, or at my website, tacticalstrategygroup.com. Our topic today is the quick wins, transforming organizations at the periphery. You can go to the North Star radio show page of my website to find links relevant to this episode. Specifically, I'll be citing a number of statistics today and also referencing a case study. The statistics and case study, which is in the form of an interview, may be found under episode 26 on the North Star Radio Show page of tacticalstrategygroup.com. I encourage you to check it out. So with that, let's get underway. My topic today addresses two major issues that, in my view, are the worst kept and some of the most problematic secrets in industry. Much of the work organizations do is manual in nature. That's secret number one. And much of that work is aided by tangle web of undocumented high-risk spreadsheets and other desktop tools. So before we go on, no, I'm not here to tell you that all your work should be automated, although more of it should be than currently is. And I am certainly not here to tell you that you should be getting rid of all your spreadsheets as uh, some have attempted to frame this message. What I am here to tell you is that your manual processes are undermining your productivity as well as your organization's ability to leverage new technologies, including AI tools. I'm also here to tell you that where these manual processes are interwoven with desktop tools, primarily spreadsheets, it represents a fragile collection of dominoes that when they fall, can bring your organization to a halt. The scope of these risks is far reaching, as I will explain shortly. But before jumping into the productivity and risk factors and the approach, I'm proposing to address them, I want to dedicate this show to a former colleague. His name is Rick Bridges. I first met Rick in 2003 when he called me in to do a formal review of a new program that he had launched at Telecommunications, which is a large telecom provider based in Canada. The program was called Quick Wins and it targeted two issues, both of which IT organizations tend to systematically and almost intentionally ignore. The first issue involved the volume of frontline workers that lack automation and the resource limitations and productivity issues that result. The second issue involved the actions taken by many of these frontline workers to automate their small piece of the puzzle using spreadsheets and other desktop tools that can explode into a nightmarish daisy chain of terror. Rick had an idea and launched a program to test it out. While the program was admittedly still in its early stages, Rick wanted a third party to assess his idea and the results to date. I was not only impressed with his vision, but the results he had managed to achieve to that point. Rick always described himself as just another longtime telephone company employee who saw a need for something and took action in a way that could not only address things in the small, but had the vision and capacity to scale. The program got started with just a couple of people helping a handful of frontline workers automate what they did manually and concurrently automate away their spreadsheet dependencies. My findings highlighted that the program was impressive in its approach and early results, even at that stage of evolution. After I left, Rick continued his efforts with the Quick Wins program, scaling it maturing it as results proved out the approach. Rick invited me back into TELUS in 2006 to perform a second review of the Quick Wins program. What I saw then was quite incredible. The team that had started as a two-person team and grew to 17 people in a year had now expanded to over 70 people across Canada. My review on the second round took me from Vancouver through Calgary and into Toronto. I'll discuss more later in this case study, but to Rick's credit, he structured the team into self-organizing units governed by shared principles. He then handed the reins off to his next in command Juanita Lohmeyer, and stepped back to serve in a mentor role. Rick published a book called Transformation at the Speed of People. So I recommend checking it out if you like the ideas that I'll be sharing today. I recently found out that Rick had passed away a couple of years back. I wanted to dedicate this show to Rick and his contributions to addressing the most intractable productivity and risk-related challenges uh, that I introduced earlier. And I'll go into more depth on that shortly. Rick was a man of vision as well as a man of action, and he surely will be missed by many and is missed by many. I also want to thank Juanita, who I spoke to recently to gain support for this show. Juanita is now the president of an insurance brokerage firm, and she played a major role in the evolution of QuickWins at TELUS and its overall success. I'll be referring to the QuickWins program today, and occasionally I'll talk about the QuickWins team, which is normally a subset group of of people working on the quick wins concept. So let's take a look first at some of the productivity and risk challenges that we face as organizations. So before I get into the detailed approach, I wanna highlight these challenges. They seemingly are ignored by many organizations, beginning with the amount of work done manually at too many organizations and moving on to the issues with the proliferation of desktop tools, which primarily, but not entirely are spreadsheets. So think about, access databases and other types of tools that people put together and run on their desktop. And they've, they can expand it to little mini Java programs and other types of things you run into. But let's start with productivity and the overwhelming reliance on manual processes. There's a number of studies that provide insights into the lack of automation across industries today, but let me just cite a couple of highlights. 34% of work at financial organizations, on average, based on one survey, rely on manual processes. Around half of accounting and finance professionals under manual use manual data entry as a way uh, to put in data, and they find that to be one of their greatest challenges. Roughly half of manufacturing companies use manual processes for monitoring changes, exceptions, and disruptions to their supply chain and plant activity. And you wonder why our supply chain challenges today have escalated to where they are? So the main detriment to efficiency uh, for insurance CFOs are manual processes. We'll talk more about this as we go, but this, these are just a few of the highlights. The bottom line is that too much of what organizations do today is accomplished manually. Yes, there are an endless number of IT systems at most companies. But the gaps between and within these systems often require business professionals to manually move data, rekey it back into another system, check things manually, trigger tests that should be automated, or end up fixing something that other manual processes have broken. Ask IT how much of what is automated in your organization today. They may think that most things are automated. After all, they're looking at through their IT lens, their automated lens. And this may be true in the confines of one of the many siloed architectures uh, that lack any sort of formal integration. It's the work that happens between the systems and around these systems that often takes the longest and costs the most and results in the most errors. So getting two systems to talk to each other can involve a lot of manual work and spreadsheets. Or maybe the system isn't doing its full job So you have to build a bunch of desktop tools around it to get it to do its work. So in other cases, workers themselves literally are working against the system or trying to deal with it in ways that it was never meant to deal with. Again, manually and oftentimes with spreadsheets. So large numbers of frontline workers use pen and paper to do the work that should be automated. Consider that according to another study, 22% of employee time is spent on repetitive tasks those that should be automated first and easily. And that 40% of knowledge workers' time is spent looking up information. Information probably should be at their fingertips. Knowledge work should and also can be automated. One story on knowledge workers comes to mind. A federal court system that I worked with required its judges to read through a bunch of PDFs because the environment had limited automation to such a degree that they lacked insights into the case filings, motions, evidence, and decisions associated with those cases. They had to hire more judges, at one point scaling up to about 50, which was an incredible number, at least in my view. It also impaired decision-making. The court even had trouble knowing how many cases were filed and were active at any given point in time. Again, lack of automation. So what do they do? They do the work manually and have to keep hiring more people, and in this case, We're not just talking about low-level people that are coming in. We're talking about people who are judges and are getting paid a reasonable amount of money. So what are the costs to organizations? Well, the list is long. The top, of course, is lost productivity, but it's followed by slow customer responsiveness. Losing customers is common when responsiveness is slow. Other issues can include data problems and risks and compliance issues that come with it. So imagine if you're doing all this manual work, you're going to run into issues and you're going to have to work around those. And as you work around those, you're going to cause more grief. But with the impacts, the impacts are larger than the immediate and obvious concerns. So as I've discussed in prior shows, lots of organizations are seeking AI solutions, for example, but they have done little to automate what they have today that can easily be addressed through existing technologies. This issue, in my view, is that organizations have no idea where manual processes reside because there is little to no visibility into those processes or what those workers do. So, if we can't automate what we have today or what we're doing today in terms of our manual work, and yet we're seeking these tremendous advancements in AI technologies, and we're trying to run that through an IT organization that has little or, little or no understanding of what exactly is being done manually or through desktop tools, how do we expect to take advantage of those new tools and those new technologies down the road? We're not living up to what we need to do today with existing technologies, which by the way, are formidable. So as we bring in new AI technology, why would we expect any difference? We're just gonna be introducing new AI technology and we're still gonna have people doing manual work, working around the new technologies that are being introduced. So let's, let's talk about a couple obvious things. Yes, organizations have people modeling processes and sometimes they give them to IT to automate, which IT dutifully turns into software at some level. But by the time that happens, if it does it all, the impacted workers see limited value because the solution was isolated to a previously siloed software system. In fact, the people who need the automation the most may not even be touched by the investment that was made. Again, the gaps in between those systems remain. The siloed structures are locked in, meaning most of the manual processes remain as well. Now, I've talked on prior shows about what to do with some of those siloed structures. I've had a number of interviews in, in different areas about development work and legacy transformation. So you can refer to some of those shows for that information. But the fact is that we need to attack this from the outside in. Again, as, as the introduction I said at the peripheral. So organizations cannot innovate and they lack agility and they've done little to set the table for the future end-to-end automation and deployment of much smarter technologies using AI. The impacts of this, can be, of this manual work can be high. For example, 60% of invoice processing is manual. This is easy to believe having dealt with countless procurement teams that seem to require a dozen or more people to figure out how and when to pay an invoice, and still doing so well past the due dates. As an aside, if organizations wanna find the least efficient part of their business, go take a look at your procurement operation. I think you might be surprised at what you find. Another area of impact includes manual data entry, which are common and escalate costs and risks. So one study found that on average for everyone, and this was a, I believe a UCLA study, but it's, it's cited in my material. For every 100 data entry steps that a human takes, they introduce 10 errors. It seems high, but even if they're introducing five for 100 steps, that, that's a lot. The bottom line is that manual processes increase labor costs and drive up errors. What do we do with the errors? Well, we have to fix them using even more manual processes, creating exception teams. I worked at one organization where they created a whole business area just dealing with exceptions, to these types of errors, which shouldn't have happened in the first place if automation was real. It creates an endless spiral towards low productivity and increased risks. So that's a lot of the manual work going on. And and if you are really doubting what I'm saying, go out and talk to the frontline workers. Get out there with the business. Talk to the VPs, talk to the directors, talk to the managers, but most important, talk to the people that are doing the work the senior people don't really know. They just know the work gets done. And they may know that that Josephine gets it done faster than Tom, or that Tom gets it faster than Joe, right? But they don't know what goes into it. And what they really don't know is how much they're losing in terms of either productivity or errors or customer, uh, customer value and those types of things. Now, let's talk about another problem that Uh, I think most people can relate to, and that's the desktop tools and spreadsheets. The heavy reliance on manual processes has a direct impact on the creation of more spreadsheets. What should an organization do when faced with productivity, labor, and related challenges and getting little help from IT? And I have had these conversations over and over again in organization after organization. When I go in to do an assessment with people, I talk to IT, of course, but for every... Uh, One person I talked to in IT, I talked to two people in the business. And they say, well, nobody from IT has ever come and talked to me. We'll talk more about that later. So what do people do when faced with these productivity and labor and other challenges? You improvise. You do what you can with what you have. Nowhere is this more evident than with the massive deployment of spreadsheets that slowly yet steadily creep into so many critical crevices of the organization. If it comes down to hiring one or two new employees versus having spreadsheet Sally or desktop Dan build a few new spreadsheets or access databases, it's an easy decision, but one that management may come to regret. And that's been going on, by the way, for decades. I read just recently um, Excel had its 35th anniversary, right? People have been using it for 35 years. We'll cite some more statistics on widespread use, but just imagine if you keep doing that. So when does a desktop tool as a cure become worse than the original ailment that it was meant to address? Let's take a look at some real world and statistical analyses pointing us to what happens when organizations allow uncontrolled proliferation of spreadsheets. Um, They're widely used. I've got a couple of studies, but I also am going to talk personally about a number of different things. Uh, Before we do that, Uh, I think we're gonna go ahead and take a quick break. So you're listening to the North Star. I'm William Ulrich. We're discussing quick wins, transforming organizations at the periphery. A quick reminder that you can access surveys and other information referenced today, along with the tell a story on the North Star radio show page of my website, tacticalstrategygroup.com. We'll be back after a short break.
0: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you having trouble articulating your strategic objectives? Not sure if your program investments are aligned to your strategic vision? Wondering why your six, seven, and eight-figure program investments seem to evaporate into thin air, even as your business teams are left to add more people, take on more risk, and take heat from unhappy customers? Tactical Strategy Group's William Ulrich can help ensure that your strategic objectives translate into sustainable, successful investments. For more information, visit our website at tacticalstrategygroup.com. Business news and discussions are always changing. In order to stay ahead of the game, sometimes you need to be a follower. You can follow the Voice America Business Channel on Twitter at VoiceAMBusiness. Again, that's at VoiceAMBusiness. And stay current. Looking to enhance your business architecture skills? Become a certified business architect or align your team to a common approach? Check out Business Architecture Associates. Industry pioneers and co-founders Wendy Keene and William Ulrich have trained thousands of business professionals, turning beginners into practitioners and practitioners into experts. BAA offers in-house and public business architecture training for individuals and organizations. With more than 20 courses to choose from, including the Business Architecture Boot Camp, popular mini-course series, and custom workshops, BAA can create a learning path for you and your organization. Why learn from the rest when you can learn from the best? Check out BAA's course offerings at BusinessArchitectureAssociates.com.
1: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network.
0: You're listening to the North Star. If you have a question or comment about the program, please send an email to Ulrich at TSGConsultingInc.com. That's Ulrich at TSGConsultingInc.com. Now, back to the North Star. Here again is William Ulrich.
1: Welcome back. I'm William Ulrich. You're listening to the North Star and we're discussing quick wins transforming the organization at the periphery so you may have your own stories the topic here is how widely used are spreadsheets you may have your own stories but my personal experience is that every organization has them they tend to run into the many thousands um, and even if you can estimate how many you have or how many are in use so a Forrester study commissioned by incisive software found that of respondents use more than 100 complex and customized spreadsheets to support their critical business processes. Complex, probably multiples, probably hooked together with a daisy chain of dependencies. In the same study, almost a third of respondents noted that their organizations use over 10,000 spreadsheets on a regular basis. And I'm gonna cite some numbers in the tens of thousands, many tens of thousands, But on a regular basis, they're using over 10,000. So I work with an insurance company that was run almost exclusively on spreadsheets and due to the lack of IT automation. Now there was IT and there was IT support, but because it was so limited, the spreadsheet situation uh, emerged and, and exploded. So data errors ended up costing them significant money at various points in time. And executives warned about this Yet IT let them struggle along with the spreadsheets. So while there's a high level of concern with inherent risks associated with spreadsheets, few of those surveyed felt empowered or ready to tackle the problem. Almost a third of the respondents noted that their organizations, again, use over 10,000, but they couldn't do anything about it or didn't know how to do anything about it. We'll look at some more stats on that. The inability to manage and address these, and I'm gonna use a term here called shadow systems, which is not an uncommon term, but I just wanna explain it. There are systems that are largely outside of IT's line of sight. They don't have to be spreadsheets, they don't have to be access databases, they can really be anything, but it's it's outside what one would consider to be IT's formal architectural structure. These are generally characterized by a lack of interconnectedness, a lack of formalization, a lack of documentation, and here's a big one, the lack of accountability to a common discipline or governance structure. So. Let me reword that, no one knows where they are, no one knows what they do, and no one knows who owns them, and no one knows who can make collective decisions on what to do with them. Shadow systems represent significant risk to organizations. They tend to be largely ungoverned. Consider a daisy chain of complex interlocking spreadsheets. If one breaks, the ripple effects could easily undermine a variety of internal and customer facing functionality. But who owns the problem? it may not be clear. I've been in situations where nobody knew how to change something because the person was was on vacation and they were locked in until that person came back. Well, what if that person decided to leave the company? So shadow systems do some other kinds of things. They can undermine security, auditability, business performance, and future efforts to deliver automation to the business areas that rely on them. If you've ever tried to undo a spreadsheet, it's not particularly easy particularly if they have things in it like pivot tables and those types of things. Again, I'm not advocating the elimination of spreadsheets. What I'm saying is your company shouldn't be run on them. But however, either way you look at it, spreadsheet use is growing. And it seems that management is looking the other day. The other way, personal experience on uh, a large scale cross-functional review that I performed at one financial institution that was primarily a fund management company found that they had a lot of software systems, and we're not talking about small systems, a lot of software systems that were highly siloed. They had a picture on their wall of all the connections between all these different systems. And there were like thousands, I'm gonna say thousands of lines that were drawn between the systems. Wasn't clear what those lines were until I went out and talked to the business. What we had were endless gaps between many of the systems running in the enterprise. IT was aware of it, but doing little to address it. So in my view, the business ecosystem that I discovered found that there were over 25,000 spreadsheets being used to perform multiple business tasks, and they played a major role in transforming and moving data from one system to another. Frankly, if they didn't work, the systems wouldn't get their data. The number was known to scale into the tens of thousands at larger organizations, and they tend to be daisy chained together, where one failure could cause that domino effect I talked about previously. I went out to the business center of that same organization, and I found myself in the middle of a, a Dilbert-like environment with a sea of endless cubicles that were staffed largely by 20-somethings. Uh, no offense to uh, young college grads. They were all working diligently away, and, uh, and it was important. Uh, but they were all pretty much talking about and discussing spreadsheets just listening in on some of their conversations Uh, one quick note here by the way that consulting companies rent out these folks at a premium uh, charge per hour and uh, they're largely doing spreadsheet work so it's costing you maybe more than you realize the business vp at that same center i interviewed um i asked about you know the situation that that she was facing And she said the last system upgrade from IT forced her team to build 15 new spreadsheets. I've even heard of where IT organizations do system upgrades and then tell the business that they're gonna have to update all their spreadsheets as a regular course of business. So instead of reversing the trend, we're making it worse. So is spreadsheet use growing? Absolutely. And doing no small part in IT's inability to deliver the real business solutions to the business community, the end users, that they're trying to service. The question is, are they even making an effort to do anything about it? So as a point in fact, during one of my assessment reviews at TELUS, a business leader said to me that she'd been with the company for more than 25 years. And never once did IT reach out to her. However, the quick wins team did just that and brought automation and value to that particular area of the business that was lacking for a long time. So it's, it's a big difference. And there's a cultural issue here that I'm gonna get into more later. So this is not just about spreadsheets or just about process automation. There is culture that's underlying here. And, and you know if I had Rick on the show, I know he would talk about that quite a bit. So do spreadsheets play a critical role in organizations? The short answer is yes. According to a Forrester study, over 35% of finance and accounting departments regularly use spreadsheets to fuel their decision-making. of operations departments, including sales operations and marketing, by the way, rely on spreadsheets. And over a third of customer and account data analysis is purely manual and contained within spreadsheets. And another third is done with a combination of spreadsheets and other databases. Nearly 50% of all companies still rely on spreadsheets alone to do their auditing and controls. And I find great irony in that. And, And the reason is because the audit and controls group is responsible for oversight and should be identifying the high risks associated with spreadsheets. Yet they're using those very spreadsheets to do the job that they're supposed to be doing, which in part should be ringing the bell and waving the flag about the risk inherent in these spreadsheets. Again, single points of failure all over the organization. If they fail, real-world consequences. What are a few? Well, you can look on the website. I've got a, I've got some of these posted. The UK's public health uh, in England reported over 15,000 positive COVID-19 tests being lost. Fannie Mae had to correct, and this is public, it's published information, had to correct its 2003 financial results after finding a $1.1 billion spreadsheet error. And during the 2012 London Olympics, a spreadsheet error resulted in overselling 3,000 tickets for synchronized swimming, angry thousands. People may laugh at that, but that's what happened. So everybody's got their own stories, but here's a couple of mine. I was working at a global manufacturing company that had numerous large-scale systems, including an SAP enterprise software system. And in one meeting, a manufacturing manager said, and there were a lot of people there, that if SAP failed, it was an inconvenience. But if their spreadsheets failed, the assembly lines would stop. Have they fixed that issue? Probably not, haven't talked to him for a few years. A government audit was forcing a congressional hearing on some major issues with the budget and personnel office. And a friend of mine who was a consultant and managed a number of their spreadsheets was called in and he had to actually go and sit next to the guy that was testifying in Congress. Why? His executive told him that the only place where the critical data was being managed were in his spreadsheets and he was a contractor. So was there risk? Well, according to a Forrester- consulting study, the risk is very real. And many frontline workers understand that. They know that the risk is real. This is not a surprise to them. Uh, But nearly a third of survey respondents noted that management doesn't recognize the risk, underscoring the fact that C-level executives are making decisions based on data assumed to be accurate but contain errors. The answer to why they don't care may lie in their inability to see it, understand the risks, or maybe Maybe they just don't know how to address the situation. So what are organizations doing about uncontrolled spreadsheet proliferation? Well, this is the crux of the issue. And the answer is very little. 53 respondents were very concerned with the idea of spreadsheet risk. Only 19% were actively working to change their risk exposure. 23% believe they were not in a position to change their approach. And 11% did not understand where to begin tackling the problem. So in some way, the widespread dependency on manual processes along with equally widespread use of spreadsheets to fill in critical automation gaps, create productivity issues, cost issues, open up the organization to a lot of risks and drive customer dissatisfaction. Few organizations are doing much to address these issues even in the face of escalating IT budgets and personnel costs. And the icing on the cake, so to speak, is that few if any individuals and organizations have the power, motivation, authority, or know-how to address these issues. And this is where the story of quick wins begins. So as I've discussed so far, a heavy dependency on manual processes and spreadsheet technology leads to reduced productivity, escalating costs, financial compliance and other risks, The deg- degradation of the customer experience and increased resource demands. So most organizations may be aware of the impacts, but not the root costs. There's no shortage of large and growing technology budgets, but much of the spending goes into infrastructure. Endless migrations to the next best thing, adding new functionality to existing environments, and the continuing challenge of enhancing or maintaining existing systems. Many of these investments do little to impact what I'm talking about so far. In fact, the previously noted statistics bears this out. I've spoken to countless organizations that acknowledge the issues highlighted today, but have no plan, taking no action to deal with it. So many business and IT professionals lament the challenges with desktop environments, but in my experience, tell this aside, virtually none of them have a program in place to even begin to tackle the problem. So let's explore why this is the case. Well, first, IT organizations have little direct contact with the vast majority of frontline workers, and I'm going to include the end user in this, the end customer, rather, in this list. There's no mandate to help the masses address the aforementioned issues around manual processes and desktop tools, primarily spreadsheets. But organizations that model their processes, but holistic analysis and design, right? If undertaken at all, typically looks past those issues. There's some redesign and automation work underway, but the statistics and industry experiences say that the work is hardly scratching the surface. The frontline work is often ignored for the sake of large scale back end infrastructure spending. So for all the talk and related investments related to moving to the cloud and other technology directions, the majority of workers have been left out of the conversation. Historic challenges in automating the work being performed by the vast majority of workers, whether it's repetitive or performed by a knowledge worker, is, is access to those frontline workers, insight to their needs and visibility to their environments. Those things are the gap. The other understanding is that any automated solutions delivered to those workers must be architecturally aligned and also be able, be able to scale, integrate, and ultimately interoperate with other technologies. So we'll talk about how, how we do that. The original quick wins vision and case study results, which are posted on my website again, uh, was principle-based. The concept of having principles guide the distributed teams addressing the automation challenges are essential because the organization is being transformed at the peripheral and a distributed approach cannot be micromanaged as, as our central initiatives. Quick wins principles in part mirror Agile principles. The irony here is that the deployment of quick wins in practice actually conform more closely to the original Agile principles and intent of Agile than do most Agile deployments in practice. So as a quick aside, most Agile deployments have become overly bureaucratic with too many roles, too many meetings, and less and less frontline worker engagement. It's patric- particularly true with the introduction of scaled Agile framework, or SAIT, which seems to become more of an internal effort into itself, drawing more and more resources into its ever expanding framework. The principle that governs quick wins program fall into similar uh, categories with a few modifications. For example, I've introduced the concept of stakeholder versus customer to to make it more far reaching. Uh, We talk about the management principles, team principles and architecture principles. So I wanna run through a few of those and note that I, again, that I swapped in stakeholder. So let me, let me give you the quick categories here. I'm gonna start with the stakeholder focused principles. Highest priority is to satisfy stakeholders through early and continuous delivery of valuable software. They live by that, the, the quick wins approach. Changing requirements are welcome, ongoing. Deliver working software frequently from a couple of months to a couple of uh, years or a couple of weeks rather. Uh, and I'm gonna talk about the, some of the rules that quick wins put in. Uh, deliver working software frequently, uh, business people and developers work together daily through a project this is a, a a thing that quick wins insists upon there is no go-betweens okay? there's no middlemen there's no analyst doing the interpretations right uh, management focus build projects around motivated individuals uh, the most efficient effective method of conveying information is face to face working software is a primary measure of progress uh, agile work uh, focuses on sustainable development and te- teams maintain a constant pace on the team side, continuous attention to excellence and good design, maximizing the amount of work not done. They're not having all the meetings, they're not all the go betweens going on. There's direct engagement between the quick win people and the people who need the, need the solution. They self organize, which is very important, and the teams tune behavior to become more effective. So they're self organizing and self tuning. Uh, The architecture principles I added, things have to be, the solutions have to be architecturally aligned, software is designed to scale and be interoperable. So important point to consider before uh, going into some more mechanics, but the work being done by the personnel is also geared towards achieving one objective that may not be evident, and as to establish a foundation and pave the way for more traditional software development and transformation work by addressing the frontline workers' needs first. So a lot of times those are ignored when backend work is being done. So as one of the major challenges facing most IT organizations is to ensure that solutions are widely used and adopted. But if there's no knowledge of who the frontline workers are, what the technology they need or what, it, what they do or do not have, uh, then they, you can't really do that. So quick win, as Rick used to say, sets the table for larger scale, broad internal, uh, or I guess inside out transformations. So quick wins gets out in front of this challenge by doing the work around the peripheral and working it back in. Uh, So with this perspective and principle as a backdrop, I want to go into the whole deployment approach and get into a little more detail on that and how, how one might launch this particular concept of quick wins. You're listening to The North Star. I'm William Ulrich. We're discussing quick wins, transforming organizations at the periphery. We'll be right back after a short break.
0: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Your organization is spending seven, eight, or even nine figures annually on transformation programs. And you're questioning the bottom line business value. You were told not to worry. We've engaged the best system integrators, and they said all is well. Has your IT organization become a black box where money goes in, but nothing comes out? Tactical Strategy Group's William Ulrich has seen every side of this story, from upfront happy talk to painful post-mortems. Find out what's really going on. Visit tacticalstrategygroup.com and ask about TSG's Transformation Oversight Service. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to the North Star. If you have a question or comment about the program, please send an email to WMMUlrich at com. That's Ulrich at com. Now, back to the North Star. Here again is William Ulrich.
1: Welcome back to the North Star. I'm William Ulrich. We're talking about quick wins today, uh, transforming the organization at the peripheral. So the first thing to know about deploying a program, a quick wins program, is that it's likely going to break a few of your bureaucratic rules. So just be prepared for that. Quick wins personnel work in small two to three person teams at most. The people have to be multidimensional. They have to be, uh, and I'm going to quote with Bridges again, business-oriented with a technology background. They have to be self-starters. They have to work without a lot of oversight. They have to be principle-driven, and they have to have some technical background to build out the solutions at the point of contact. The quick-win team engages directly with frontline workers on a direct and continuous basis to understand what they do, document just enough of what they do, and automate at the direct point of contact. Teams seek out opportunities at first, but over time they gain respect to business professionals and they'll be sought out. Again, I wanna be clear, there are no middlemen, no analyst meetings, no scrum sessions, no safe architects, no heavy-handed management. The teams are equipped to, equipped to build technology solutions focusing on delivering worker value. The teams are expe- encouraged to experiment and there's no assumption that the first solution is the final solution. In fact, it probably shouldn't be. In alignment with Agile principles and keeping with other aspects, uh, the, the mantra that tell us was uh, two weeks, two days, two weeks, or two months. Deploy quickly, get something in the hands of the frontline user. Long project cycles or delivery windows were prohibited. A second mantra of the quick wins philosophy is to solve business problems while exposing opportunities for growth. Now, the reasoning reality of this second perspective is that business professionals will find it easier to imagine what could be if they are incrementally brought to what can be through initial and ongoing degrees of incremental automation and deployment. So let me give you an example. If you ask someone who is a cog in the big wheel of work involving manual processes and upstream and downstream processes and spreadsheets what they want, they may be stymied for an answer. But if you provide automation for the work they do, capture upstream inputs, allow them to then output downstream uh, data back to the other spreadsheets and provide automation for what they do, they'll start to get ideas on how to further improve the automation in the corresponding process. They're likely to pull in their frontline peers to show them what's possible. You can start then working upstream and downstream over time. And the upstream and downstream spreadsheets start to all become automated in more of an integrated fashion. So the original solution may have to be uh, rethought and reintegrated. You get then that streamlining, you can get some formalization of backend data that's captured, and you start to get to more automation and get away from the spreadsheets and away from the manual processes, by the way. Uh, This depends on teams being deployed and focused uh, on the work. It may involve over a period of time, but eventually more productivity and reduced risks associated with complex Interdependent spreadsheets goes away. Now you may ask about the role of process and quick wins. Think of a process modeler as a dentist who does x-rays and recommends you brush and floss frequently. Uh, Maybe even doing some other kind of maintenance work, right? But you have some underlying issues you need to get done? Think of the quick wins team as going in, understanding your basic needs, your needs holistically, uh, taking some quick x-rays, fixing your teeth all in one visit and then coming back incrementally to make you more more and more better looking, right? So, some of the kinds of work these individuals perform understanding what the frontline worker does, automating manual work within the scope of the process for the frontline workers engaged, front ending back end systems to streamline data entry, replacing spreadsheets and other desktop tools in favor of a more structured architected solution, integrating multiple quick win deployments into integrated solutions, and that's a real critical one as you scale, advising on integrating quick win deployments into larger scale solutions. Some of the accomplishments for the quick wins teams as it evolved in the cited case study include improving the revenue side of the business by working with the customer facing sales team to improve what they did, automating the activation of orders for voice fulfillment, uh, fulfillment of service requests, inventory selection, delivery activation, and much of the work previously done by people, creating the ability for frontline and knowledge workers to do real time on the fly process changes. The approach of which works if Workflow is defined not as a BPM flow, but as a series of events and rules and state transitions. The approach allows the business itself to dynamically reinvent and reroute work, moving from a fixed process mindset to a dynamic process mindset. And finally, integration of multiple quick win deployments into longer, more permanent solutions. ROI, everybody asks about ROI. What's the return on investment? It's strictly defined by the frontline worker community. That was a rule that they had in the the case study. Uh, The frontline workers document how much was saved or gained in terms of revenue. So money saved, time saved, productivity, or gains in terms of revenue or other factors like risk reduction and so on. If something doesn't deliver ROI, the investment was small. If it does deliver ROI, the work continues to build more ROI. The approach builds confidence in the business community because they're getting things that they never had before. And understanding what can be. ROI is measured quickly and continuously. So I ask everybody out listening, do your big IT projects do this? Or do you simply invest tens or hundreds of millions of dollars on a leap of faith that at the other end, there's going to be some value? When asked what difference a quick win teams of one to two or two to three people make, I'm reminded of the story of the boy on the beach with the starfish. Man was walking along the beach, he saw a boy picking up starfish and throwing them into the ocean. He said to the boy, what are you doing? And his boy said, throwing starfish back into the ocean. The surf is up and tide is going out. If they don't throw them back, they're going to die. So the man said, you don't realize there are miles and miles of beach and hundreds of starfish. You can't make a difference. After listening politely, the boy bent down, picked up another starfish and threw it into the surf. Then smiling at the man, he said, I made a difference for that one. Now, imagine that that boy was one quick winty. team many boys might make a difference for the starfish, just like many quick win teams, as were deployed in the case study, made a difference. And they were deployed widely. And and again, the demand drove their scaling. It wasn't driven internally, it was dri- driven by the need for more and more or the request for more and more quick win solutions. So they can scale at the speed of business driven increasingly by the business community. And you can apply this to end customers, but of course you're gonna to have to apply a few different rules. So one final point on the, on the change impact the quick wins environment. I've seen business professionals who no longer trusted or confided or wanted to confide in IT because it took too long, cost too much, or essentially ignored change requests altogether. Even when you did get their attention. A quick wins program deployment can shift that thinking, get people working together again, as I had, IT had done decades ago when I first started out and essentially shift the culture from us versus them to where business professionals and automation teams are working together for the common good. This shift, this cultural shift, I I, I know Rick talks about it a little bit in his book, and frankly, I think it's a lot, but I haven't read through the book, Um, but this cultural shift is at the heart of the longer-term perspective on quick wins. So before leaving the story from Telus, I wanna know, that the team was a joint winner of the 2006 Stevie International uh, Business Award for the best soft support team. Uh, and that was based on, on the feedback that they got from, from the business community. Uh, another thing to understand about quick win teams. So when you think about it, think about it as an incubation, incubator for leadership where r- workers roll out after 18 months and bring in fresh people and fresh ideas. They take their ideas back over to the business and start applying that whole cultural thinking and evolution that, did a, that, that they learned in the quick-win environment. So you can not only build this great, powerful environment, but you can provide an incubator for leadership. And a lot of the people that I met originally, um, and Juanita is one of them, obviously, she's the president of a company now, but a lot of the people that I met and worked with in, uh, in the quick-win environment went on to become managers and move up the chain. So let's talk about getting started with the quick wins approach. So how would one start? Well, start small like they did it in the case study. Um, Rick didn't ask for permission, but figured out it was okay to build spreadsheets. You know, If it was okay to build spreadsheets in the business community, why wouldn't it be okay to build something to replace them? That's more robust, more architected and more scalable. Does quick win require strategic buy-in from executives to get started? No, not necessarily. In fact, probably shouldn't. Uh, because you have to prove out what you're doing to build it up, and it may take a while. So start moving, build organically, create some wins, garner positive feedback, continue to test out the approach. Don't make any outlandish claims. You know you're not you're not coming in here and saying if you spend 50 million dollars, I'll I'll do magic for you, right? Work it from the outside in. Get the business community on your side. Where would the quick win team reside? Well, this depends on timing but certainly first in the business. Don't be surprised if your your proposal to IT executives get get this idea shut down, right? There may be a hundred reasons why you can't do this, right? They may fear there's competition. Uh, It can move to, uh, you know, but but the idea is that you're moving into IT later in the more formal program. So you can move it later. What you want to be careful of is not to instill any heavy-handed bureaucracy on top of the quick-win environment. Is there a relationship between quick wins and software and data architectures? Yes, this becomes important as you scale, but it must be timed. I recommend you leverage a business architecture, assuming you have one articulated as, as a way to get common vocabulary in broader context, but also consider the need to align to technical standards like using one type of software service or language or underlying technology. So it doesn't imply more overhead, it just apl- applies to a compliance type thinking to technical architectures. That way, as you scale over time, the integration and scalability of these solutions becomes much more likely and much, uh, much more reasonable. Uh, what are some best practices to, to share? Um, well, um, I would recommend uh, taking a look again at the case study. Uh, There's no handbook on quick wins. Uh, Over time, uh, I'm hoping to evolve this into a more formal topic. But the main messaging here is keep it principle-based. How does one staff a quick wins program? And this was an interesting uh, thing that that I learned and picked up over time as as I did my reviews. Uh, One of the things uh, uh, the quick wins program discovered was that experience and years in industry was not always a major plus. Uh, I noted in my review of the Quick Wins program in 2003 and 2006 that the individuals working on the front lines were generally in their 20s, often recent graduates, and did not suffer a lot of the preconceived boundaries in terms of what they could or could not do. They didn't know what, you know, you you can't do this here, it's impossible, we've tried it a hundred times, right? If their work brought them to the doorstep of a VP, they knocked on that door. So this became easier as their positive reputation grew. But at first people were appalled, right? That they would be going in and working with senior people, but the senior people liked it, right? So again, success builds success. So while the politics of quick win may be tricky to maneuver initially, as you build success, you'll start to build uh, a reputation and you'll start to get more support for the approach. So how do you respond when challenged on the idea of quick wins? And this is an interesting one because you will be if you introduce it to your organization. Uh, I can say, look at the issues that I've been discussing here today and tell me what other solutions people have. If we're investing all this money in technology today, and IT has huge budgets at most uh, medium to large organizations, right? We're probably not addressing a lot of the manual work that's going on out there. So again, start at the peripheral, Keep it low-keyed, prove yourself, and build as you go. Most organizations are not really addressing the issues that quick win is going to undertake. And while there may be a little bit of concern as, as people find out what you're doing, it's not that there is somebody else trying to attempt to do it. And if they are, they're spending tens of millions of dollars trying to do it and probably making little impact, right? Again, start small, build over time. So, in closing, I want to keep a few things in mind here. Uh, The degree of automation you think you have in your organization is an illusion. Look at the stats, but also look at your organization. You're less automated than you think. Productivity and efficiency opportunities are being ignored uh, by your organization as a whole and IT organizations in particular. And it's not an accusation, it's just a fact. Your greatest risks are hidden in plain sight. And this includes your desktop tools and primarily your worksheets, but also all the manual work that goes around it. Uh, There is no reason that other organizations can't try this approach. And if if Rick was here, I suspect he would probably say, just do it and see where it goes. So I think it's important to to take away today from, from this conversation that there are other ways of doing things that haven't been explored. And I think you really need to seriously look at them and go out into your organization, see what's going on. Find out from the front lines what exactly the challenges are, what, what issues they're running into, and start putting those ideas together. And again, start small, try to launch something, get it moving, build as you go, success breeds success. So I'm William Ulrich, and you've been listening to The North Star. Our topic today has been quick wins, transforming organizations at the periphery. Please go to the North Star radio show page on my website, tacticalstrategygroup.com, to obtain quick links to the material referenced today under episode 26. My topic next week will be strategy execution, closing the loop on best practices. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you then.
0: Thank you for tuning in this week to the North Star Please join host William Ulrich for another edition of the program next Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll continue our discussion on strategy execution then.